Hello and welcome to The Conscious Capitalists, hosted by two of the co-founders of the Conscious Capitalism movement and co-authors of the Conscious Capitalism Field Guide from Harvard Business Press, Raj Sisodia and Timothy Henry. Each week, this podcast covers current events and business news and Raj and Timothy's latest thinking on what it takes to build a conscious business. For more information and notes from the show, go to www.theconsciouscapitalists.com. And now, Raj and Timothy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode number 10. That's number 10, can you believe it, of The Conscious Capitalists. And I'm here today with my partner in crime, Raj Shasodia. Hi, Raj. Hi, Timothy. Great to be with you again. Good to be with you. And today's a breakthrough event for us because for the first time, we're actually going to stop boring you with Raj and I, we're bringing in a special guest, and he really is a very special guest, um, a good friend of ours and a colleague in the conscious capitalism movement, Doug Rao. Hi, Doug. Hey, guys. Great to be here. So Doug has uh, worn many, many hats in his career, and one of them that he's probably most famous for is being married to his wife, Michaela, but that's another story. Um, he's been president of uh, Trader Joe's and was really the person responsible for bringing Trader Joe's out to the East Coast. And there's millions of East Coasters who are eternally grateful for that. Um, and he also has been CEO and then co-CEO of the Conscious Capitalism Inc., which is the nonprofit that acts as the, sort of the holder of the flame for the conscious capitalism movement. So Doug, thank you for all of that and welcome. Great to be here with you guys. Now, Raj, you were saying earlier, you know, the synchronicity in the universe that sort of connected us all. And uh, maybe you want to say a little bit about that. Yes, so this would have been around uh, 2007, I think. I had just published the book, uh, Firms of Endearment. Uh, in which we raved about Trader Joe's, of course. I mean, I've yet to meet, by the way, a person who does not like Trader Joe's. I don't know if they actually exist in the world. Uh, but I had written that, and, uh, and then I'm at the faculty uh, uh, dining room at Bentley University, where I was teaching then, and uh, our chief marketing officer, Sandra King, was sitting there. And as I walked by her with my tray, and she said, oh, there's somebody I'd like you to meet. This is Doug Rao, you know, president of Trader Joe's. I said, oh, my God, he's one of my heroes without even knowing it. I mean, I said, that's a beautiful company. So that's how we met. And, uh, of course, it was around the time soon after we were starting the Conscious Capitalism Movement. And as soon as I could, I, I invited Doug to be part of that. And uh, I still remember, Doug, when you and John Mackey first met at the first uh, Bentley conference that we did, I think, in 2008. And uh, they, of course, had known of each other and competed with each other for a long time, but never met. And their first words to each other, as I recall, were identical. They said, I hate you, but I love you. Or the other way around. Right? Yeah, something, something like that, yes. <laughs> and uh, you talk about what you meant by that. Both of you, I think, kind of meant the same thing by that. Well, I think that we were fierce competitors. I mean, obviously, Trader Joe's and Whole Foods are fierce competitors. And uh, uh, I know that uh, John has shared that, you know, he doesn't like seeing any grocer come to town as much as, as he doesn't like seeing a Trader Joe's come because uh, they're, they're fierce competitors. And Trader Joe's knew that Whole Foods was uh, both doing, you know, really good product development, but also had that deep sense of purpose around, you know, bonding with their customers, having a, a clear sense of product quality standards. 
and they, uh, you know, they pushed Trader Joe's uh, on a lot of fronts. So I used to, uh, and I, I recall the very first time John and I went to a, an event together where we got to speak, uh, I was able to get him, I think that quite honestly, initially, begrudgingly, to admit uh, publicly that Trader Joe's had made Whole Foods a better company. Mm-hmm. And I was there to say that, in my opinion, Whole Foods had made Trader Joe's a better company. And that's what competitors do, if they're noble competitors, is they keep pushing each other to a higher standard. And so, uh, uh, but we had, a, we had a long talk uh, at that very first uh, uh, event there in Bentley and have continued on for 10 years plus. Wow, you know, I love it. It's such an important point because, you know, we get competition and the idea of competition quite wrong, I think, in our society. We view them as enemies to be conquished, right? And it's like a zero-sum game out there. And if, they, if they're doing well, that means I must be doing worse. But it's really, so it becomes a race to the bottom. And I think what you pointed out, it can be and should be a race to the top. We inspire each other to be better. Uh, and we uh, you know, admire each other while we compete with each other. Well, the great competitors, I think, in any sport or any event, you know, they want to play against the best. You know, it's no fun. Uh, you know, maybe it's fun the first time to win, you know, 100 to 20. But um, <laughs> after a while, you want that game to come down to the last play and the last second and, and be really pushed to your limit. And it makes you a better, a better competitor. It makes you a better team. And, and I love the fact that you and John found that place together, Doug. Yeah, and you're competing to do more good in the world. I think that's the key thing. Right? Yeah. You're competing to, in your own way, uh, add to our, our collective flourishing. So, Doug, maybe it would be good to start with a little bit about, you know, what was your journey to conscious capitalism? How did you find your way to it? Um, you know, maybe, you know, as much from, from a personal point of view as anything. Yeah, well, I, and I think that, you know, I'll, I'll quickly share my story. I, I do think that each of us have our own unique and specific way in life and our path. And so for me, I, I guess it goes back to, you know, um, being a kid of the 60s. I got very interested in, you know, um, Eastern religion, meditation, um, basically trying to deepen my spiritual life. I looked out at the time uh, at my you know, my, my successful parents, uh, professor and teacher and, and the world around kind of said, I don't want that life. You know, it felt at the time, you know, typically, uh, stereotypically, I should say, 60s, shallow. I wanted something more meaningful. I wanted to get to the deeper side that, you know, the, the meaning behind the meaning, so to say, and uh, started a, a very serious spiritual practice. And frankly, out of that came a relationship to work that uh, as, as compared to many people, uh, well, you know, through their work and things, develop their own uh, and, and approach to uh, uh, either a spiritual or a deeper uh, growth and, and uh, personal development. For me, it was around, I don't want to engage in work in a way that's going to be contrary to my values and my practice every day. I don't want to sit in meditation and have to go to work and then come back and have to take a ethical or spiritual shower every day because at the end of the day, it would, it would feel a little bit like a, um, who's the famous uh, Sisyphus who keeps rolling that rock up and then it just rolls right back down. I wanted to know that work was actually, and I do believe this, of course, that is, uh, when applied rightly, is a magnificent tool for our own personal development, let alone society and, and, and the good of others. So that was really a kind of a foundation for me was approaching work. And I happened to get lucky 
um, as they would say, uh, better lucky than good, that uh, I happened to run across Joe Colomb. And uh, it started to sell to him when I was with this little natural food company called Erwan. Um, and we started selling product to this company called Trader Joe's. And uh, Trader Joe was Joe Colomb, who uh, turned out just to be an incredibly bright, really smart, but also deeply um, uh, values-oriented, very tuned into the customer, uh, very much you know, interested in we got to make money, but let's make sure we know how we're doing it, which is by doing the, the things right. Money is the result that comes by having the products and the services that customers want by treating people the way they, you know, they want, et cetera. So for me, it was really a, uh, it was a, it was a breath of fresh air to find a company that uh, I never once was asked to lie. I didn't feel I had to misrepresent I could feel proud of what I was doing. And I remember at one point in my career there, waking up one day and so going, oh my God, I'm a grocer. How did that happen? Like I thought I was going to, I don't know, go out, you know, after college, go off and do research on something or, you know, do something that I thought would be in my mind more meaningful than just selling milk and eggs and bread, et cetera. Which of course, as it turns out, I'd like to think that Trader Joe's does something much more meaningful and just selling milk and eggs and bread. And uh, which just highlights that just about basically any business, even one so fundamental as hawking your wares of product that have been around forever can be done in a way that's meaningful and can contribute both to your employees and the community that you serve. So it's just once again, uh, an indication that there is almost no job too mundane that it can't become something transcendent. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's a beautiful way of putting that, Doug. Beautiful way of putting it. Thank you. And, um, you know, for, for a lot of the people that are out listening to this, you know, um, they're wondering, you know, like, where do they start that journey? Like, like um, you guys have convinced me being a conscious capitalist is a good thing. Um, how, do you, how does one start to say, okay, I want to go on that journey? What are your thoughts on, 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 and what do you tell people when they ask you that? Yeah, well, well, well first things is, um, unto thyself be true. Don't try to be me or Raj or Timothy or John Mackey or Kip Tyndall or any other 50,000 people that, you know, are uh, uh, interested in or espousing conscious capitalism. You want to be the best example of conscious capitalism that you can be. So the first thing is, you know, underlay self be true, which is to know where is it that you engage in this? What part of this work attracted you? What part of this, this movement, what part of this concept about how to do business better as a force for good drew you? And I would start with that as compared to trying to eat the whole enchilada, you know, in one bite. I'd look at where is it that I'm most attracted to it? And I'd start to, I'd start to get involved there. But what I'd say just, I don't, I jumped right in, but in essence, the, the answer is, first of all, you start with yourself. You know, that it's hard to bring about change in an organization if you haven't changed as a leader. If you don't, you don't hold, and when you start talking about it, people don't look at it, and it doesn't feel congruent with your values and your actions and who you are, then there's always going to be that cognitive dissonance people have, like, well, he talks this game, but he acts this other way. 
and it'll be completely undermining what you want to attend. So the first thing is to make sure that you've got congruency, which starts with you as a leader about, you know, what do I believe? What do I hold? And I, you know, I've said many times that I think that conscious capitalism is a, is a big tent, you know, that in the, in the same way that um, uh, Christianity in the early days was only Catholicism. And what they did was just absorbed what you would call now a sect after sect, you know, whether you're Dominican, Benedictine, Jesuit, you know, et, et cetera. It's like, well, you know, you're just various different points of view within a big tent. But I think conscious capitalism is a big tent that it can have varying different points of view on, you know, some things in the same way that I suppose that Jesuits and Dominicans and Benedictines argue doctrinal points, you know, loudly <laughs> with each other, um, that there are conscious capitalists that can disagree with each other on certain points. We hold, we hold core tenets, which you've been addressing in the uh, previous nine uh, podcasts. There are some core tenets, but within that, there's tremendous expression and variation. So for me, I think you start with yourself. You start with making sure that your own understanding, your own development, that you're, these are congruent inside of you. And then, I, then what you do is, in my opinion, you, you look at the team and you look at, do I have a team you know, of my you know, inner suite or my senior top advisors or et cetera, that um, are going to be aligned with this? You know, where is it that to some, this is like, uh, you know, this is, this, is a, this is a step too far. I'm, I'm not interested. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to support that. And there are times in organizations, as they grow anyway, that you have to do assessments. And sometimes the people that help get you there aren't the people that are going to take you where you're going next. Mm-hmm. And these are just the natural developments of any company. But in conscious capitalism as well, if you're going to try to bring about something that is, in my opinion, as profound and as broad, Conscious capitalism isn't um, uh, uh, superficial. I don't think you can have a department of conscious capitalism in an organization. Heaven, you know, help the organization that puts together the conscious capitalism department Mm. uh, and heaven help the people trying to run that to bring it up. (laughs) This is talking about, this is, this is, you know, um, something is metabolized through the roots and up through the leaves. This is something that, that you, that you have to metabolize and bring it and make it part of every cell, so to say, in the organization to have it really be effective. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and by the way, it is, this isn't something highfalutin. It's like, oh, my God, everyone's got to learn, you know, the quadratic equation and be able to, you know, quickly espouse. No, it's pretty basic stuff. You got to mm. act with integrity. You got to have a sense of what your purpose as an organization is. You got to... Uh, have expressed care, you know? And care isn't just, you know, everyone walking around with big hugs, particularly in, you know, COVID time, but it's around treating people like people, not positions, treating people like people, you know, not objects and, um, and other simple things. It's not really, you know, the sort of thing we go, oh, I don't know, my team can really get all this. There's really not a lot to get, it turns out, in my opinion. And, um, you know, in the same way that when, when I brought Trader Joe's to the East Coast, as you said, uh, back in 1996, I remember being interviewed by the Boston Globe. We were about to open up uh, in uh, uh, Brookline on Beacon and uh, Harvard and also in Cambridge. And she said, so tell us, how are you different than the local supermarket? And I said, well, you know, we have these products, we probably we've gone and find these interesting things. 
I said, and we try to deliver a high level of customer experience, so, you know, customer satisfaction. A little quiet on the other end of the line. She goes, well, how are you going to do that? I said, well, we do this, we do that. And she goes, well, good luck. And I said, well, well thank you. What do you mean? She said, well, have you been in Boston? I mean, <laughs> you know, and I suddenly realized, uh-oh, this is a trap. If I started going, yeah, this, people here are so rude and they're this and that and in the Boston Globe, that's not going to go. So I said, you know, I've been coming here for several years now, you know, looking for real estate and doing stuff. And I've stayed in hotels and ate out at restaurants. And I've had both some wonderful service and some uh, service that was not so wonderful. We're going to try and hire the people that gave us wonderful service. And what I think is true, and I think this is true that, that any organization finds, is that um, when we hire people, that many people over the years would then say, where do you find these great people at Trader Joe's? They're always so friendly and they're, you know, they want to help you. And, and the answer, of course, is these are ordinary people that can do extraordinary things when the culture basically um, uh, bruise that, you know, it's sort of like a probiotic, you know, when you, you take something and you, you, let, you let the healthy cultures brew something that become uh, beneficial, become healthy and helpful so that pretty soon, you know, you're the standout if you're not treating someone well. And, uh, and then, of course, there's many other things about how you actually then reinforce that in evaluations and compensation and, you know, and, and shout outs to the team, uh, you know, et cetera. So there's ways to reward it, but I'm just talking about just basically attracting the right people and assessing, do you have the right people? It's so critical as a next step. Well, I love your, your starting point that it begins with the person and the individual. And Raj, I'm wondering, you know, what's your point of view? Like, like what helps get a person to that place where they say, okay, I've, I've got to, there, there's something inside of me that needs to come out into the world in a different way. What's your, what's your perspective on that, Raj? Well, you mean as a leader or as an yeah, employee? Yeah, yeah. No, as a leader, as, as a leader, what gets you to that point where you, you decide, yeah, this is something I, you know, not that I, I'm sort of kind of interested in, but really, this is something I'm really called. I mean, I've really, I, I, this is my path. Well, I think it's, it goes back to what Doug talked about, right? I mean, one of the things I've discovered is you have to, there's kind of this journey and there's a sequence, right? We don't always do it in the, in the exact same sequence, but you have to know who you are. And I think Doug kind of discovered that as an unusual kid growing up, uh, you know, interested in uh, in Hinduism and so forth as a high school student, but you kind of have to know who you are, right? And come to love and respect that and then be that in the world and figure out how to manifest that. And I think, I think that's a minority of people, unfortunately. Most people are confused uh, about those very questions all through their life. And they don't have the guidance, and they don't have the, uh, the hunger perhaps in some cases to go on that journey. But I think that's what distinguishes conscious leaders and more conscious human beings from others who are merely surviving and just going through the motions. And I think there's something about the level of development that you're at. We're all capable of rising to higher levels of development, but, uh, but many of us don't get that opportunity. We don't get that nudge. We don't get those disequilibrating experiences uh, or that mentor that enables us to go on that path. Well, I also think there's... Um 
you know, when people ask me about the conscious capitalism movement more, more broadly, the, the, the little parable I like to tell is like, you've got a lot of people sitting on the beach looking out at the ocean. And they're told there's this thing called conscious business or conscious capitalism, and it's a better way of doing business. And they're looking at the ocean and they're going, actually, I have no idea how to get into the water. So there's this, this first step of like, here, here's how you get in and you wade in a little bit. You get your feet wet, you get up to your knees. And, and then there's another stage, which is now that I'm up to my knees and I'm not as afraid of the water and I can see that I'm getting a little confidence. How do I go to that next level of, okay, now I can go snorkeling and, and I get into the water and I'm starting to see the world differently because I'm doing something. Um, but as I do the snorkeling, I suddenly look and I go, oh, my God, there's a, you know, there's a whole other world down there. <laughs> and now I want to go scuba diving. So how do we help you go to that next level? Because now you want to go scuba diving. And then for a very few, as Doug said earlier, you know, now I want, the, now I want to go deep diving. I want to make this a whole life journey. And I'm going to uh, focus my whole life on the things that, that help me go be a deep free diver. And, and it's a different thing. So I, I think it's interesting, you know, Doug, you sort of set that up a little bit by saying it's a big tent at some point and, um, and, and yet, you know, there's some people who are, you know, hey, they're at this stage, but they're, they're doing something. And then there's this other group that, that wants to go even further. And, and Doug, well, you know, when, when somebody comes to you and says, you know, yeah, I've just been at this, this CEO summit Conscious Capitalism CEO Summit, which, by the way, we have once a year, and uh, usually in October. This year, we're not going to have it for a bunch of reasons, but but stay tuned for next year. Um, you know, Doug, when, when somebody does approach you at one of those conferences and they say, you know, hey, help me, what, what, what do I do? Um, what, what do you tell them? Uh, well, what I tell them depends upon some questions you ask about, well, tell me about yourself. Tell me, you know, you know, uh, how familiar are you? You know, where are you in this path? Are you the first step? Like you say, are you just dipping your toe in the water? Or it's like, no, I'm already swimming around. Now I want to, I've been snorkeling. Now I want to scuba dive. I mean, so the advice is, uh, you know, it, it, it depends. But I mean, again, I think it really does get back to Timothy that we complicate things too much. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, business is kind of simple. And, and, we as human beings engaging in commerce, particularly if we start to raise an awareness that I'd rather leave a legacy of something good than a trail of train wrecks behind me. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather have my energies go towards something that at the end of the day I feel good about. That I think that, you know, the, the starting spot for me uh, with people that come and say, and they did when I was CEO of Conscious Capitalism all the time of, hey, you know, um, the principles all sound great. How do I actually do that? And of course, the question is very simple. Are you a publicly traded company? Do you have a board? Well, you better get the board you know, involved and better get them along, uh, aligned and, and, and understanding at least why you believe this is the best way for the business to move forward. This is actually the, you know, the best way to long-term profitability. And sustainability. This shouldn't be looked at as what do I have to give up to be a conscious capitalist from an economic business standpoint. I oh, think Doug, 
I, I think that's a really important point. And I think it's an important point around two dimensions. And I think that one dimension is the, the why of conscious capitalism. Like, why is that important? And how do I help my board or help my team understand there's this thing called conscious capitalism that's inspiring to me and means something to me and I'd like us to go on the journey. And then in my experience, then there's sort of like two or three levers that you go, you, you go look at first. You sort of say, well, do you have a purpose? And do you have a well-articulated purpose? And then is that purpose connected to your strategy and how your business is operating? So there's sort of a, an on-ramp around purpose and do you have one and how do you bring it to life in your business? And then I think that the second big one is around culture. You know, to what extent are you a great place to work? And, and is that something you're aspiring to, uh, to your point about, you know, you've gone beyond, you know, just um, a dollar, you know, a, a worker for hire versus someone who feels like this is a place where I can bring my whole person and contribute in a meaningful way. And if there's a third way, it's probably around leadership development. And do you have a leadership development program? And are you trying to develop leaders who are conscious leaders? But, but I, I find those first two, particularly around purpose and culture being, being the, you know, one of the areas that, that becomes an on-ramp into the journey. Um, and, and I'm curious what your experience has been with that. Well, I, uh, uh, well, I think they're essential. I mean, I think it was, uh, you know, that I had the opportunity while I was with Trader Joe's and after I woke up and realized I'm a grocer, I, go, I better go get some education in business. And at the time uh, out in my, uh, uh, where I'd gone to high school in Claremont, uh, Claremont University was Peter Drucker still teaching. So I had the chance to go out and get my executive MBA working with Peter Drucker, who it turned out was a big Trader Joe's fan and uh, shopped at the uh, Upland store. And, and we had a number of conversations around what we should or shouldn't be doing and et cetera. But, um, you know, Drucker's famous, of course. We've all probably heard the phrase that, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch or for breakfast or nowadays it probably, you know, does it first thing in the morning while it's checking its email before it gets out of bed. But it... Uh, it's so critical because when he said that, I think for a lot of business leaders, like what culture, I mean, culture is getting to be a phrase we're a lot more familiar with now, but still it is one that is um, difficult for most leaders. And it's difficult because it's so intangible. I mean, so many of us want things that we can measure, right? And it's that old idea that you can't manage things you can't measure sort of stuff. Well, culture is difficult to measure. Not impossible, but I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky one. It's, you can sort of measure by its effects, you know, and measure various other things, you know, um, indicators of it, but it's a tricky one. And so I think, that, I think that most leaders don't spend enough time, and certainly the conscious capitalism movement emphasizes, you know, that it's almost impossible, and I would dare say near impossible, to have a conscious company with a completely unconscious culture mm. that you, that no matter how good your culture is, that unless you are in some way driving it consciously, you're, you're, you're probably not um, getting the most out of, out of your organization or your team that you can or yourself. So, um, so I do, I do agree with that. I think it's, it's sort of as I thought where you're going with this, Timothy, was you're going to talk about the why, right? The purpose. And then you're going to talk about the how. 
you know, which uh, uh, I think is critical also, which to some degree is the culture. It's like the, how are things really done? You know, mm. How are promotions really given? What's the tone that, that you have when you're off the record talking to somebody about somebody? I mean, to what degree is there, is there uh, a feeling of um, we're a meritocracy? We reward people for what they do and not just who they know or, you know, uh, uh, how will you like or don't like them per se. And there's a thousand other ways you could go into that. But so to me, it's really, those, those are critical. I, I would say that um, one, of the other, one of the other things that's, that's undermine, that, that underscores all of this and then would undermine if it wasn't there is what you said in the third one, which is around the integrity of leadership. That you can have all those other things in place, but as a leader, if you just have a hard time treating others the way you want to be treated, to, to put these into, into practice in your own life, then it's a little bit like rowing the boat with the anchor out. You know, it's going to be a whole lot of effort and you're not going to go very far. Thank you, Doug, for all you've been doing for conscious capitalism and for setting just a great example of what a conscious leader looks like and, and how do you go about really helping an organization go on that conscious capitalism journey. So thanks so much for your time and your energy today. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's been an honor to be here with you guys. Well, that brings us to the end of our another episode. And um, if you have any comments or thoughts you'd like to share with us, please go to theconsciouscapitalist.com. And there's a little form there. You can leave a note. And if you've enjoyed this, feel free to hit the subscribe button on uh, whatever channel that you're listening to this. And thanks so much. And we'll see you again next week.